we turn to our text, which comes from Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. And we continue our series here in the Gospel of Mark, where we're reminded how Jesus wants to leave a mark, not a wound, but something impressionable for our souls. And now we turn to a, a passage where Jesus reminds us the theme of belonging. Where is it that we truly belong? And so I'm going to go ahead and read it for us. And those of us who are able, can you please stand and rise with me as we read God's word? These are God's holy, inspired, and life-giving words. Let's give them our full attention today. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub. And by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him and said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Amen. Thus goes the reading of God's word. May God continue to bless it for us. As the grass withers and the flowers fall, the word of our God remains forever. Please be seated. Family, there's nothing that could drive you crazier through the roof like family, yet at the same time, bring you this kind of comfort of being with your family. They can wound you quite profoundly and also heal you deeply. We can avoid them as long as we want, but family is the basic need of belonging. We all need some form of family in our lives. You know, before I came up to the Bay to finally, uh, we had to say our goodbyes to our families. And when we said goodbye to Kathy's side of the family, her entire family was just weeping for her. You know, they're just sad that, you know, their little girl is just moving far away. And I, I felt so bad. Then I broke the news to my family. I said, you know, we're going to the Bay. We we'll, probably won't be able to see you quite often. And they said, okay, we'll see you next Christmas. And it's so strange, you know, how family dynamics work out. It's made me think about this theory called attachment theory, where the idea is that if you have a stronger bond as you're, as you're a child with your parents, it, it allows you to thrive later on in life. But if you have weaker bonds, weaker connections, it, 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 you don't thrive as much. There's more anxiety. There's more depression involved. I've thought about this. And yet when it comes to our attachment before God, we know with our minds 
that God is supposed to be our father. But so often we feel so detached as we live out our lives. As the troubles come in, we start to doubt. We start to wonder, do I really belong? And like spiritual orphans, we feel estranged to the one we should feel closest to. And yet in this passage, what Jesus presents for us is this profound hope of belonging. And we're going to look at three things in our passage today. One has to do with our adoption. Second has to do with our allegiance. And last of all, affirmation. Let's look at the first part here, adoption. After this long day of ministry, Jesus and his disciples were famished. So they went home. It's not clear whose home this was. It could have been Jesus's or more probably likely it's Simon's. All we know is they needed a place to just recharge after being crowded by all these people. And yet what better place to relax than to simply be surrounded by the people you love and trust. But as they go home, verse 20, the crowd gathered again so they could not even eat. See, some of the uh, Jesus' relatives who were close by witnessed all the chaos that was ensuing, and they were probably concerned for their, his well-being, but also frustrated by all this noise and clamor that Jesus has brought into their little quiet town. So verse 21 says, they seized Jesus. And the connotation here is they were trying to control him. They probably scolded him, Jesus' relatives, like good aunties and uncles do from time to time. Look, this whole Messiah business, we've been really supportive of you thus far, but now, now this is too much. You've brought Coachella into our backyard. The crowd has trampled all the tulips in the front. You've got to stop this nonsense now. You're embarrassing your mother. Adding to this commotion, it says in verse 22 that the scribes came down from Jerusalem. These were serious folk. They were especially tasked to, to the brightest minds to specifically prosecute Jesus. This isn't just the police. These are the feds showing up. And by the end, Jesus' brothers and his mother show up hoping they can reason with him. And as far as anyone is concerned, they all think Jesus is, as verse 21 puts it, out of his mind. Jesus, you are crazy. There's Jesus' family for you. Quite a loving group there. If anyone thinks believing in God is crazy, it's because it is. It's crazy to believe in God. We're talking about a God who calls us to forgive our enemies. A God who calls us not to worry or be anxious as we continue into a recession, as it starts to kick in. Our God says, don't worry, don't be anxious. A God who promises to never let us go and yet still allows us to struggle in this life. A God who is sovereign over all things. He ordains it all. His mind cannot be changed. And yet for some reason, he calls us to pray. It's crazy to believe in God. Almost as crazy as what Jesus says next. Verse 35. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Anyone who's crazy enough to follow me, that's my family. He's calling the church his family. All of us. 
out of everything, nothing is crazier than for God to give up his own son in order to adopt us as his own. I'm just going to be frank. I would never give up my kids for you. No matter how much I like you, no matter how much I love you, that's not on my agenda. I would never do that. And yet for some reason, God is crazy enough to do this. Believing in God, it's just not normal. It's supernatural. That's why God has to literally give us faith. And Jesus, here Jesus is calling us his siblings. Church is a family. One in which God is crazy enough to adopt as his own. Why would he do that? You know, in, in the 1980s, there was this movement called the Voluntary Human Extinction Movement. The Voluntary Human Extinction Movement. And the basic message was for everyone to stop having kids so that the biosphere might return to its former glory and everyone here will be able to live life more abundantly. That was the 80s. Fast forward to today in America, it's at the lowest level of birth rates since the Great Depression. You factor in the pandemic, turbulent politics, George Floyd happening. When the future doesn't seem great, why bring kids into this kind of mess? Kind of makes sense. I held a baby last week. Ryan, Ryan and Sharon, they had their kid. Well, we congratulate them but later. Um, and I held Maddie for the first time. She's so cute. I started to have baby fever, wanting a, another one, but Kathy said no. <laughs> but looking at this precious child made the problems of this world seem insignificant. I really believe this, that babies are a sign and hope that life should still go on. That God opened himself up to be vulnerable by adopting us. You know, as the saying goes, you're, you're only as happy as your least happiest child. And God was willing to go there. God brought us into the world, a troubled one at best, but one with still a glorious future. Doing the will of God means we believe in the future that God truly holds for us. He adopts us with the future in mind. But sometimes our allegiances in this world, they make us question our adopted status. Which leads us to our second point here. Where is our allegiance? The feds show up, the scribes from Jerusalem. They confront Jesus in front of his family. And here's what their accusation is. He is possessed by Beelzebub. And by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. This word for Beelzebub, it's actually only used one other time in the Bible. In 2 Kings chapter 1, it's a reference to an idol. Uh, uh, idol uh, where the king of Israel, at that time, he was sick. And instead of consulting with God himself, he consulted with Beelzebub an idol of the four nations rather than God. And what the scribes are essentially saying here is that all these exorcisms that Jesus was performing, they were saying, Jesus works for Satan. None of this is real. It's all staged. Jesus is the prince of demons. How do you respond to something like that? It's crazy. It's crazy talk. So here's how Jesus responds. He says, how can Satan cast out Satan? How can Satan cast out Satan? 
You don't get a championship with the Warriors if the team isn't cohesive. Together, better together, right? That's the motto. Better together. You, a Senate is gridlocked. Uh, when a Senate is gridlocked over certain policies, the whole country suffers. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if Satan has risen against himself, he is coming to an end. What the feds are saying doesn't make sense. God's heart cannot be divided. But our hearts can. Our hearts can. In the Bible, there's this strong correlation between the idols and the idolatry that people worship and demon possession. Satan's main goal is not for us to do bad things. His main goal is to replace God with an idol. Whether that's work, whether that's sex, whether that's control, money, comfort, doesn't matter what it is. Whatever it takes for you to not need Jesus. That's his main goal. He's not, make no mistake, he's not trying to get you to do bad things. He's trying to adopt you. Adopt you as his own. In the words of Eugene Peterson, all we really are are recovering spiritual addicts. We're all recovering spiritual addicts. It's not just enough for us to just say no or come up with better strategies or coping mechanisms. This is how we, this is how we try to solve addictions. Just will yourself. Do the right things. But if you can't, if you can't, then you get what you deserve. My friend, he catches crabs at Bodega Bay when it's seasoned. He says it's the easiest thing ever. He says all you do is you, you take a hook and you attach pieces of meat on this wire, wires that's shaped like a box frame and you drop this thing in the ocean with all the meat attached and these crabs, they just grab onto this wire trying to eat all the uh, meat and they cling on and they're being pulled up to their death and as he's explaining this, I, I, you know, he was giggling and we were both kind of laughing, just saying, oh, what, what silly crabs? Like, don't they know? You would think that, fr- that as their friends are missing, they, they kind of figure it out for themselves. Just let go. Just say no. When my son was younger, Kathy prepared crabs for dinner for the first time. It was all steamed and buttered up. We had our mallets ready, but Miles asked, Are you really going to eat that? It's a crab, a creature that he's played with often in the tide pools, a creature that he sees on cartoon shows, the dilemma for a little child. And yet we hammered away anyways, breaking the legs, the claws, scooping out the meat, while Miles says, oh no, I'm sorry, crab. But in my mind, the crab got what he deserved. As spiritual addicts, I can't help but see our lives like these crabs, refusing to let go of our doom. We need someone. We need someone more than to plead for our lives, but to pull us out, to pull us out of this. Dostoevsky, I can't ever pronounce his name, the German dude said, the best way to keep a prisoner from escaping is to make sure he never knows he's in prison. He never knows he's in prison. This really made me think about the tech industry, this quote, where they have nap pods for you to sleep in, exercise machines. You can literally eat and work there, live there. 
makes you wonder, are you working or are you serving someone? Don't get me wrong, we all have something. We're all recovering addicts. And yet Jesus sees all this. He pleads for us on our behalf. In verse 28, you see his heart. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, whatever blasphemies they utter. Jesus' heart is not to shackle us. Forgiveness is a release. He sets us free from our sin to remind us that we, we can belong to God as his children. The heart of Christ is truly undivided for us because of the one who intercedes for us to reaffirm where we truly belong. Where is this affirmation? It's our last point here. See, the only unforgivable sin that Jesus talks about is this idea of the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. This isn't something you do by accident. It's a willful and intentional where you attribute Jesus' saving grace to that of demonic activity. You don't just decide to do this overnight. It's a pattern, consistent pattern. And I don't think this is on the list of things that we worry about or that we lose sleep over. This unforgivable sin. But the real question is, can you forgive yourself? Can you forgive yourself? There are things that you messed up in your, you know, in your, maybe perhaps in your child's life. You were too hard or you're too soft. Maybe you prioritized your work over all other relationships and those things kind of uh, uh, got messy. Not doing enough for your spouse when they needed you most. Everyone lives with something they could have done different. We, we can accept God to forgive us. We can accept people forgiving us. But for us to forgive ourselves, that seems unforgivable. At the core of the, our unforgivable selves is really a question of, am I still lovable? Am I really still lovable? The writer Ernest Becker said this, that man's chief characteristic is his tortured dissatisfaction with himself. A tortured dissatisfaction with himself. In other words, an unforgivable, unforgivableness that I am like this. Well, God enters into that kind of struggle. And Jesus says in verse 27, No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. See, these idols in our lives, they convince you you're worthless without them. They enslave. The only way to be free, to free us from enslavement, this strong grip that Beelzebub's of our lives have, is only if we're met with a greater power. Who is crazy enough to go into the enemy territory, this strong man that Jesus describes, to actually save us? Jesus is willing to go. Jesus is willing to go to the enemy territory, to hell and back to redeem us. That is who he is. He's bringing us back, no matter how much it costs. 
we give Miles an allowance so he can start having this understanding of wealth and financial responsibility. It's only $1 a week. But he stashes it away in this little piggy bank. And at this rate, he could probably buy one video game by the end of the year. That's only if he's really good with his money. We went to this gardening store. His eyes land on a bug catcher, a net. And he says, can I buy this with my money? You know, I don't want to like uh, influence him. And I just, you know, tell him what the options are. In my mind, I think it's a terrible investment. But then I, can, I explain to him, if he buys it, he'll have to use half of his allowance that he's earned so far. But he's insistent. I want this. And then he, we walk out to the cashier check, uh, line, and then he spots a flashlight that's in the shape of a flower. And he says, can I get that for Millie? And I was like, that's going to wipe you out. You're going to have nothing left. He's like, no, I want to get it for her. So I'm like, all right, this is a terrible investment. Warren Buffett would cringe and frown upon this. But he gets it anyways. He goes home. He gives the gift to Millie. And Millie is just ecstatic. And she just says throughout all the day, thank you, Opa, for the flashlight. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All throughout, just random, day, random moments. All throughout. I realized what good is it to have what you want if you can't really share joy with others, you know? What good is it to have everything you want or need if you can't have joy to share with others? Jesus, he plunders the strong man's house. What exactly is he plundering? It's you. You are his treasured possession. He's redeeming you as his brothers and sisters that he himself is willing to go bankrupt himself on the cross to redeem you. So that as Jesus redeems us, the words of Hebrew 2.11 uh, ring true for all of us, that he is not ashamed to call us brothers. He is not ashamed to call us sisters. Instead, he's like the proud older brother that says, this is my family. And he's teaching us how to do his will. That is the family that God calls us to. And it's a strong attachment. One produced by his death and by his life. And if you cannot lose this, what's there to lose in this life? Let me pray for us. Father God, family can be such a tricky thing for all of us. And yet, as we look at our spiritual family, not only within this church, but looking up to you as our Father, in the moments of our doubt, in the moments where our heart is being tugged one way or the other, would there be a profound realization? You are our Father, and you call us your children. We thank you for such an insane promise, yet true nonetheless, because you are truly good to your family. Lord, as we learn to hear your words, to receive your grace, teach us what it means more and more to do your will, because we are your family. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.